Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and today I'm so excited to be chatting with Sarah Kirkwood. She is a foster and adoptive mama, and she's going to share some of her story with us. So thank you, Sarah, for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yes, me too. So I would love if you could just start out by sharing a little bit about your family just as it is right now. Yeah, so we, um, my husband and I have been married for 10 and a half years. We um, dated for just under a year before that. Uh, And then we have two biological children, eight and six. And uh, about three and a half years ago, we looked into uh, adopting and just a whole bunch of different options there. Didn't feel like we were done with our family, but um, I had pretty severe issues with pregnancy and a lot of hospitalizations and whatnot. And so another bio kiddo is a a tricky route for us and really unlikely. So we, we started fostering kind of through that process and we just finalized the adoption of our now two and a half year old about five weeks ago. So, oh my goodness, congrats. Is how are you like, was that, what was that path like? Cause I know it's different for everyone and it's just a crazy thing to get to that point finally. Yeah. So it was a really neat process. She was actually our first foster placement. uh, And then we had let the foster care um, people know, you know, hey, we're open to fostering to foster. We're open to fostering to adopt. We were on an adoption wait list with a private agency at that point and just figured, you know, in the meantime, since there's, it was a three-year wait list for an adoption through a private agency, we were like, there doesn't seem to be quite the urgent need going that route as it did for our foster care system. There's just so many kiddos, unfortunately, that are in the foster care system. So we figured, you know what, while we wait on the adoption wait list, we'll open our home to foster care for as long as that looks. And if a kiddo ends up needing a forever home through that process, great. And if not, we'll just be a safe, loving home in the meantime, while we have the space, right? So, so our little one, she came into our care. She was our first placement and she just never left. So, wow. So I think that is so awesome that you guys were like, okay, there's no urgency on this straight adoption side. So we're going to go where the need is. I feel like that is a lot of people's experience. And did you, did your family, did you and your husband kind of come to that together? Or were you like kind of having to convince him of that? Or how did that work? You know, I always had a real heart for just people in need, right? Widows, orphans. So our church actually had kind of a whole push with not a push, just like a awareness and like just letting people know, Hey, this is a big need. Uh, so my husband and I talked about it and we just realized like, if we're not willing to step up in this capacity, we just felt convicted. Like who should, because we have the space we have, we were, you know, fine financially, like we're doing okay. So like, if we're not willing to fill that very tangible need in our own community, like really who should. So we just felt like for us, we couldn't not do it. If that makes sense. Like 
So we, um, we moved forward with getting certified as a foster home and it actually took a pretty long time. There's just a lot of it's, they're just shorthanded. I'll say they do a fabulous job, but there's a huge need. And so it took us probably about seven months to actually get certified. And then once we did get certified, we, again, she was our first placement. And so at the time it was reunification is always obviously the main goal. So we went into it with that. And, um, and then through just multiple years <laughs> of, you know, going through all the different things and then COVID happening. So that obviously makes things a little bit more drawn out, but then it just turned out where she did end up needing a forever home. Uh, and so we, you know, we were thrilled. We loved, we loved her from day one, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously would have loved to have seen a biological family be able to care for her. But when that's not able to happen, it's beautiful to see, you know, her become part of our forever family. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, I think you're right. You know, that's always the first goal is reunification as well. It should be Um, as moms of bio kids too. We know, like we couldn't imagine anything worse than our kids, you know, being taken from us, of course, but just to be able to, like you said, be so open of like, whatever is here for us with this is, is here for us. And we're open to it. I think it's just a really cool attitude to have about it. How did you explain things to your, your bio kids, like before you started fostering? So at the time they were four and three when we first started getting into this process. And so they were pretty young. So we had to make it, you know, in easily understandable terms. And so there were, I remember one day they were playing with, they were playing with some toys. And in this case, it happened to be a farm. And so (laughs) they found, you know, one of the baby pigs was in with the horses and we had been talking with them about it. And they were like, the horses knew that the baby pig needed a home. So the pig is living with the horses now. So like as much as their three and four-year-old brains could comprehend, like, Hey, there might be someone coming to live with us for as long as they need. Like, we're going to make our home open to that. They were totally on board with that, but there had been a lot of discussion beforehand about, you know, it might be a short time, it might be a long time. And so I feel like they, they did grasp it and just mm-hmm. in their own way. Right. That's so uh-huh. great. I love that. Cause that's always a concern that people have. And I know we had it too, but I just feel like kids are so, they're just so adaptable and they're so like, even whatever age they are, they're just like, even once their eyes are open to a need, you know, like they're just very receptive to it by and large. So that's really cool. Wow. Okay. So what has been, what would you say has been like the most difficult part of your journey to this point? Uh, I mean, honestly, we took it all just kind of in stride as much as possible. That's, (laughs) there were definite difficult times, but we just kind of held it with one hand, right? Like we knew like, it's not ultimately up to us what happens. And so we're just going to support and love however that looks. Uh, I think the hardest thing was so one of the biological parents was in, is was is incarcerated and so just the process of her doing visits down at this facility that was a hard thing because for me I, I wanted her, we both wanted her to be able to have visits with her biological family that's hugely important right that they know where they come from that they have relationship if possible if it's safe but just the concern of she's going down to some with someone she's never met she was I think eight months old at the first meeting of this, she was screaming, crying, didn't want to leave. And anyway, she, um, she got taken down to visit. It was just like, it was very rough, just emotional for her. She's little, so doesn't understand what's going on. Has just started coming into some of that attachment separation anxiety. Right. And so 
for the next, I'd say about 48 hours after that, just like very cleanly. Mm -hmm. Then ended up, we had to go to, to the ER because she ended up with a respiratory virus. And so there was just a lot that came with that. And so just, I think, sorry, I tend to, I tend no, to wear- I am too. I, I absolutely, this resonates so much with our story too. So I'm tearing up myself. So there, there was just this, you know, like I want her to have this relationship. I see the value in that, but it's also hard from the heartstrings on our side mm -hmm. and just the exposure to a lot of, you know, things and her, you know, what, being concerned about her potentially not understanding what's going on, being not traumatized because that feels strong, but like she had no idea what was going on, you know? And so I would say that was definitely the hardest part of it in my yeah. opinion was just that whole Gosh. process. So how did you like handle that? It's a, so much to handle sometimes. I mean, we, you know, she was crying. I was crying. <laughs> there were a lot of tears. Um, I, after the ER visit, so she ended up going to the ER, had RSV, the respiratory virus. Um, we had to take her back to the ER uh, about 48 hours later. And so through that, at the next court hearing, this parent had been on the phone calls and found out that this had all happened following the previous visit. And the response was really beautiful. Honestly, the response was, I would love to have visits with my daughter, but if that's putting her at risk, mm -hmm. let's stop them. So the, uh, the plan moving forward, we did video visits okay. moving forward. And so that was just the court's ruling on because of how her body responded, et cetera. That was how that played out. But it was really a beautiful thing that this parent did recognizing, hey, this is not actually in the child's best interest. Yeah. Um, that is beautiful. And that's not always the case because there's so much emotion, which is understandable completely. But yeah. um, just the fact that that was, you know, the experience for you guys, that's amazing. And just like, that just shows the love. And it's so, I think that's one of the hardest things about foster care is like, there's so much love coming from two different places for the same child. And it's a great thing. And it's also one of the hardest things I think. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So how did you care for yourself and your mental health and well-being throughout your foster care journey? Yeah. So we, uh, my husband and I, we hired a babysitter and did a couple hour date night <laughs> once a week. Um, and so it usually happens when we would have the babysitter come over just for dinner time and bedtime, and then would be there for while the kiddos were asleep. So the kiddos just didn't have us for a little bit, but once a week we would do that. And then we got to go have conversation, debrief, <laughs> have yeah. some time and know that the kiddos were still in safe hands. So mm -hmm. that I feel like was huge is that was kind of a non-negotiable for us is we just, we have to have a couple hours a week. Yeah. We That's so important to prioritize that foundation of the family. You know, it's like, if we can keep this strong, then like everything else is going to be okay. Ultimately. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Okay. And then what would you say is like your, your biggest, most joyful part of this journey? I mean, I think just the story of love for this little one, right? Like, I feel like there's so much heartache and heartbreak that can go into these kids' stories if they don't experience love and safety. And so just being able to play a little role in her overall story is huge, I think. And mm -hmm. so it's been cool to see too how initially when we met the other bio parent at court one time, it's easy to judge up front when you haven't met this parent, right? Like how could somebody do X, Y, and Z or, you know, choose this over that. And then you meet this person and like my heart broke for this parent. Cause it's like, you are a child of God as well. And like, you are 
just struggling with something. And, you know, addiction is, is just a hard thing. And so it's not necessarily that this parent doesn't love this little one. It's just yeah. that it's such a vicious cycle to try and break that addiction. And so I think it's just been beautiful to see like even heart changes in myself and my husband, like just overall love for people. And just, you know, mm-hmm. we don't know pretty story. We don't know the extent of it. And so um, I think just our own mental and heart capacity. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is also making me cry because it's so true. Totally. I remember when we met that parent, we just went up to them and gave them a hug and told them we're rooting for you. Cause it was like, I don't know if anybody's ever spoken that to them. So it was, I mean, it was a very emotional meeting. (laughs) That's so brave to do that. I felt like there's so many things that I wanted to say and I felt like I couldn't, I just was nervous, I guess, but that's so brave of you to do that. I admire that so much because there's, you know, I feel like sometimes I just don't have the words, you know, but I want to give support and love and, and show support and love. But mm, I love that you, that you actually shared that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And how was it? I must've been for them to hear that, you know, like you said, like who, who else is telling them you right. got this, I'm rooting for you. Like, wow. Yeah. That's such a beautiful gift. Good. We still are rooting for them. We don't know. We don't know much about them anymore, but obviously we're still keep keeping them in our prayers and our thoughts. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Same here. Exactly. And that's the thing. That's when I try to keep telling myself, it's like, just because it's this way now, doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. There might be a time, even years down the road where they, you know, life changes for them and they, you can get some help that they need. So that's encouraging. Good. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know really quickly about some amazing free resources for foster mamas on my website, fearlessfostering.com. I have a self-care quiz that will help you decide exactly what type of self-care you need at this point on your foster care journey, as well as a virtual retreat for foster mamas and an anxiety reducing email course all for free. Check it out right now on fearlessfostering.com. Okay. So what would you tell someone who is considering fostering just given what you've been through in this journey of foster care and adoption, what would you say to them? Do it. (laughs) There's there's just so many, uh, homes. So we live in the Portland, Oregon area and in Oregon, there's over 11,000 children a year that have to spend a night in a foster care situation, foster care home. And there's less than 4,000 certified homes. So the math doesn't add up, even just for certified homes. Um, there's just a huge need. And, you know, kiddos, like they're, they're the innocent ones. So it's just, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It, you know, like if you are able to, if you like, I hear a lot of people say like, I don't feel a calling for that. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know that anybody feels a calling for like <laughs> discomfort. <laughs> exactly. They, like if you have the ability, like, It can be such a blessing, not only to the kiddos, but like the blessing we've felt because of this and like the way our hearts have expanded because of it is just, it was unforeseen and like just so like such a blessing to us. Yeah. Same here. That is such a good point. It's like, I think sometimes it can sound like, and I don't want to sound judgmental. I just, from what I hear, sometimes people are like waiting for a lightning bolt from the sky. And I'm like, I don't think you're necessarily going to get that. But if you have compassion stirring up in you for, like you said, the children who are not, there's not enough certified homes for, then maybe your next step is to see if you might become the certified home or whatever it looks like for you. But there's something that we can do to address this actual crisis of like kids not having a safe place in our state, in our country. Cause it's not like any state is like, we're good. We're fine. Our foster care situation's under control. (laughs) 
Oh, goodness gracious. Well, thank you so much. That is so powerful. I would love for people to be able to continue to follow along with your story. Where can people find you online? Yeah. So, uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as real estate with Sarah. That's what I do for a job. Uh, and so I post that's, that's where I post. I keep updates about what's going on. We do donation drives right now. We're doing one for boxes of love, which is a local organization, nonprofit that gives boxes to foster care families when a new little one comes into their care. Uh, and so if you'd like to follow along, that's where you can find me and get updates about what's going on with our little family and also just foster care situation in Oregon. Awesome. Are you guys thinking you will foster again? Are you thinking maybe, maybe not so much? What's your thought on that? You know, yeah, we renewed our foster certification. I mean, we still have a heart for these kiddos. We, we live in a fairly small house and so we're pretty at capacity right now, but you know, if, if a knee, like we were to get a call, I mean, our certification is current. So Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we were to move into a larger home, like, absolutely. I, I don't, the door's never shut. Like, there are, there's a need, so we will fill it if it presents. Yeah, that's how, that's what we're thinking too. We're like, okay, like we're full right now, but who knows, you know, as things, as kids move along or as things change, like, I don't think my heart for this is going to change. So <laughs> we'll just be open and see. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for taking the time and for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a joy. Thank you for reaching out to me. 